right, church, say amen. amen. Oh, come on, church, say amen. amen. How many are glad to be saved? Amen. I'm telling you, I'm so glad for what God has done for us. I'm telling you, it is amazing, it is amazing that God's grace reaches down to the lowest sinner. Amen? Amen. amen. I want you to take your Bibles with me, turn with me to Romans chapter number 9. Uh, Romans chapter number 9, great crowd tonight. Got some new people here tonight. Now listen, tonight's study is going to be pretty in-depth. I mean, this is, we're going to start chewing the meat a little close to the bones. Amen. And, and this is one of those, how, how many of y'all have ever been to, how many of y'all have ever been to a movie or maybe you watched a movie at your house and, and you went to get some popcorn and you come back and you was totally lost? How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all know that movie, men, that, that your ladies ask you 24-7 throughout the whole movie, what does that mean? What, why did he do that? This is one of them nights. You can't go for popcorn tonight. Are y'all with me? you got to stay with me. This is a really, really important uh, topic. This is a really important subject tonight. And, and here's the title. Can God be trusted? Can God be trusted? You know, he made a promise to the nation of Israel and now, you know, now you are telling us that, that Israel has set aside. I thought Israel was God's chosen people. What's the deal with that? Uh, Paul is addressing here in the next three chapters, chapters 9, chapters 10, and chapters 11, he is addressing the nation of Israel, speaking primarily to the Jewish people. But it's going to help us understand uh, the touch of God and what God is doing. So if you're ready, say amen. Uh, y'all pray for me. I got devil has. Ri- How many of y'all had a bad week this week? Anybody had a bad week this week? Uh, it's just been one of them weeks for me uh, mentally. I uh, just just really one of them kind that's got a knot in my stomach all week. I pull in. Uh, I pull into the church parking lot this morning, and uh, it was it was uh, a fire rescue week, and and they had a, a fire rescue truck out there, and they forgot to tell the preacher. And so I pull in and see that, and this is, the, and you know, all the kids, I couldn't see the kids because the cars was covering the kids. All I seen was the adults standing up looking down. So I'm, I, I lost four years of my life this morning, and, uh, and, and like to got two employees fired, amen? But other than that, it's been a pretty good day, all right? Uh, but listen, it's always like that when God's going to do something good. Because the devil doesn't want you to get what you need, and the devil doesn't want things to happen, so he's going to bug us, amen? He just does what he's good at, but that's fine, that's fine. I can live with the devil's bugging if we get the Lord's blessing, amen? amen. So let's look in Romans chapter 9 and verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. In other words, Paul is saying, I, 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 man, my heart is so heavy. I want to see the nation of Israel saved. I want to see the Israelites saved. These are my brethren. These are my kinsmen. These are my blood family. He said, in other words, he said it this way. He said, if I could see all of them saved, God send me to hell so they can be saved. In other words, he would be willing to go to hell so all of them could go to heaven. What a man of God. That's, that was basically the same thing Moses said with the nation of Israel. God, you curse me, but deliver them. This is his heart. This is his burden. This is what he's trying to get across. And he, he continues and says, Whose, 
uh, are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who was over all, God bless forever, amen. Not as though the word of God has taken none effect. If you're writing in your Bibles, that's a good one to underline because that's going to help you understand this chapter. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, they are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we then say? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. Church, say amen. amen. Father, help us and give us what we stand in need of. Lord, we thank you for your word. It's true. It's everlasting. To every generation it endureth. In Jesus' name, use this word to build us. Use this word to bless us. Use this word to encourage us and help us. I pray that your will be done this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say it. You may be seated. Now look in your notes. We want to do just kind of an introduction uh, with this introductory uh, paragraph to really help us understand uh, what we're fixing to talk about. Because there's basically two things that Paul's going to do. He's going to talk about the promise of God to the nation of Israel. And he's going to talk about why they're going through what they're going through. Why he has set the nation of Israel aside and now he is building the church. All right. Paul, Paul was considering it. Now let's look back at the way the nation of Israel looked at Paul. Let's look at how uh, the Jewish nation themselves, how all the Jewish people uh, that, that ha are not believers yet, that are not believers yet, have not trusted in Christ yet, how they seen Paul. Because they had gotten word back to Rome, who Paul was addressing, they had gotten word back to Rome that Paul was a traitor, that he was no longer a legit teacher, all right? Paul was considered a traitor to the Jewish nation. He ministered to Gentiles, and he taught freedom from the law of Moses. He had preached in many synagogues and caused trouble, and no doubt many of the Jewish believers in Rome had heard of his questionable reputation. In these chapters, Paul showed his love for Israel and his desire for their welfare. Remember? He said, man, I, I would rather be cursed so you would be saved. He wants them to understand his love for them. Now, this is the personal reason for the discussion, but there's an also, there's a doctrinal reason. Paul had argued in Romans 8 that the believer is secure in Jesus Christ and that God's election would stand. But someone might ask, now here's the questions that we're going to be answering, okay, through these next three chapters. What about the Jews? What about the Jews? I thought that the Jews were God's chosen people. Wasn't the Jews, wasn't they the apple of God's eye? Didn't God choose them and, and call them and, and they were a chosen people? What about the Jews? All right? You're saying that God has a promise now. You're saying that God's election will stand. But what about uh, the Jewish people? They were chosen by God. And now you're saying that God has set them aside 
and God is building his church. Now here's, now here's in bold letters in your notes. Did God fail to keep his promise to Israel? Because now Israel is being set aside. Now God is building the church. In other words, did God turn his back on Israel? Did God's promise fail Israel? In other words, did God fail or his word, did his word fail when he gave Israel the promise? All right, not only that, the very character of God was at stake. If God was not faithful to the Jews, how do we know he will be faithful to the church? Can God be trusted? In other words, God gave them covenants. God gave them promises. You know, God gave them, said that, you know, out of, out of their bloodline, out of their lineage, the king would reign forever and ever, talking about Jesus Christ. And now he's setting them aside? Because Paul is preaching the church, not the nation of Israel. Paul is preaching on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Paul is saying, hey, it's no longer Jew and Gentile separate now. It is one and the same. The body of Christ is the church. It's about the church now. Are y'all with me? Got to stay with me. So, so, so the Jewish people, the unbelievers are saying this. Look, if God promised the Jewish nation one thing and now he has set them aside, and now he's over here building the church, what are we supposed to believe? Did God's promise fail? Did, did, did God's word fail? Why, why is it that the Jewish nation is being set aside and that God is building a church? Keep that in your mind. All night tonight, keep that in your mind. Paul's got to defend that. Paul, in this chapter, he is helping them understand that God's word is true forever and ever and ever and ever. God will defend, listen, he's going to defend God's promise. That Listen, no matter what the nation of Israel did, God's promise will be fulfilled. What is happening with the nation of Israel is just temporary. But they don't understand that. So he's going to defend God's promise. And then he's going to explain why the nation of Israel is going, why they have been set aside, why they're going through what they're going through. All right? Three chapters. Chapters 9, 10, and 11. Chapters 9, listen, chapter 9, it deals with Israel's past election. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Israel's past election, the choosing and electing of God. Chapter 10 deals with their present rejection. Their present rejection. Chapter 11 deals with their future restoration, their future restoration. So tonight, let's look at a few things tonight and stay with me. Stay with me on this. Number one, number one, I want you to understand the election of God's children. Paul goes back, Paul goes back and takes them back to the beginning and explains to them some of the blessings and benefits they had. And, and specifically talks about their election. Yes, they were God's chosen people. God chose them out of the world. Now let's talk about that. He says in verse number, uh, verse number 4, verse number 4, he says, The Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are, are the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came who is over all, God bless forever, amen. Now let's look at those two verses. All right, first he begins to explain, when he's talking about the election of God's children, the nation of Israel, 
first, I want you to see the blessings of their election. Write that down. I want you to write that down. The blessings of their election. Israel was adopted by God as his own people. He gave them his glory in the tabernacle and in the temple. God gave Israel his covenants, first to Abraham, then to uh, Moses, and then to David. He also gave them his law to govern their political, social, religious life and to guarantee his blessings if they obeyed. He gave them the service of God, referring to the ministry of the tabernacle and the temple. In other words, it was the Jewish nation that had the privilege of going to God in the tabernacle, going to God in the temple. It was the Jewish nation that was able to go in the very presence of God and have the touch of God. And in all of these things, they were blessed. Man, they experienced such a closeness with God and a privilege with God that, that no other nation had. No other nation. The purpose of all these blessings. The purpose of all these blessings was that Jesus Christ through Israel might come into the world. All of these blessings were freely given to Israel and to no other nation. But, but, in spite of all the blessings, Israel failed. When the Messiah appeared, Israel rejected him and crucified him. No one knew this better than Paul because in his early days he had persecuted the church too. Does, now, here's the, here's the thing. You remember, we're talking about the promise. Does God's word fail? Does God's word, is God's word of none effect? Now, look in, look in verse 6. Look in verse 6. Y'all looking in verse 6? It says, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. Now, that word means as a ship would leave its path. In other words, in other words, the ship has a path that's straight. Here we go. And it's gotten off course and gotten off path. In other words, does God's promise not, is in, in no effect anymore? Is his, is his word no good? That's what we're fighting. That's the argument that we're dealing with, all right? Now, watch this. Watch this. Even though, even though that Israel failed, even though that Israel rejected the Messiah, that was God's plan. That was God's original purpose, was for the nation of Israel to have their Messiah come, and they would accept their Messiah. He gave them ample opportunity many times. Ultimately, ultimately, the last straw, the last straw was drawn when Stephen was accused, or Stephen was stoned. And if you notice, after the stoning of Stephen, that was the last chance that God gave to the nation of Israel. And after the stoning of Stephen, then the gospel went to the Gentiles. Now, even though that happened, even though that happened, watch this. This is so good. In spite of the blessings, Israel failed. When the Messiah appeared, Israel rejected him and crucified him. No one knew this better than Paul. All right? Now, here's the deal. Does Israel's failure mean that God's word has failed? Now, the Greek word translated, take none effect, pictures a ship going off its course. Now, here's the deal. The answer is no. Say that with me. The answer is God is faithful no matter what men may do with his word. They rejected him, but God was still faithful. They rejected the king. They rejected the Messiah. They rejected because of what man did. Did that make God's promise of none effect? No. No, all right? Now watch this. We see the blessings of their election. Then we go to describe from verses 7 down to verse number 13, we find the basis of their election. 
And, and, this, and this will really make sense. The basis of their election. He begins to talk about, he begins to talk about and describe the, the, the birth of the nation of Israel through, through Ishmael and Isaac. Now, some of y'all may not be familiar, some of y'all may not be familiar with that whole story, so I'm going to try to explain it real quickly. Uh, Abraham was given a promise by God, right? You're going to have a son. Only problem is, Abraham's an old man, and his, his wife is an older lady, all right? Uh, 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 the promise, the time rocks on after the promise, and, and years go by, and, and, and listen, this ain't happening. What's, what's going on? Where, where, where's the promise at? It, it's not coming. So Sarah, uh, out of a lack of faith in God, says, why don't you take my handmaid, why don't you take my handmaid, uh, Hagar, and, and just take her to wife and have, a, have a, an heir through her. All right? That worked out, seemingly. All right? He ta- Abraham takes her, and they have a son named Ishmael. The only problem is, that was not God's plan. You can't do God's work man's way. It didn't do nothing but cause problems. Everything you see going over in the Middle East is because of that stupid mistake right there. All right, so here we are. Here we are. We have Abraham trying to do it his own way in the flesh. And God said, nope, that's not going to be the heir. Because he's going to do it in such a way that it was God that got it done. And he waits longer. He waits to the point that not only was Sarah incapable of having a child, now Abraham physically is incapable of having a child. See, the time wasn't ready yet. As long as Abraham could get the job done, it wasn't ready yet because he could take credit and glory for it. Man, that's good stuff right there. But now it's an impossibility with both of them, and it was nothing but God. It was a spiritual deal now. Before, it was a physical, fleshly deal. It was done in the flesh. But now, it's done by the Spirit of God. And he said, the heir will be of the Spirit and not of the flesh. Now, that's what he's explaining in these, in these verses. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham. In other words, uh, just because they came from Abraham does not mean they're in the spiritual lineage of what God is expecting. It's not by Ishmael, it's by Isaac. Or it says in verse 7, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, talking about Ishmael, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. Talking about the children of Isaac. For this is the word of the promise, at this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. Now watch this. I want you to see this, the, the basis of their election. Number one, write this down. The reason that God chose them, the basis of their election, the reason for God's choosing was not according to lineage. It was not because of their bloodline. It was not because of who they came from. Since Ishmael was the firstborn, He should have been chosen. 
but it was Isaac that God chose. Isaac and Rebekah had twin sons, Esau and Jacob. As the firstborn, Esau should have been chosen, but it was Jacob that God chose. And Esau and Jacob had the same father and mother, unlike Ishmael and Isaac, who had the same father but different mothers. God did not base his election on the physical. Y'all with me? God didn't do it because of the, 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 the lineage that they had or when they were born because, uh, because of custom, the firstborn should have got the heir. Are y'all with me? But God didn't look on the physical. God didn't do that. And because, because of this, therefore, the nation of Israel, Abraham's physical descendants, have rejected God's word. This does not nullify God's elective purpose at all. In other words, because God doesn't look on the physical, the promise still stands. It wasn't because of their physical uh, being and who they were that caused God to choose them in the first place. Not only, not because of their lineage, but number two, not according to their, and, I, and this is all going to make sense in just a second. I know some of y'all are kind of dazed and confused right now because I was dazed and confused a long time studying this, but I'll explain it. The basis for their election was not their lineage and not their lifestyle. Not their lifestyle. What do you mean? Okay. First, we talked about the lineage, their bloodline, Ishmael and Isaac, and it wasn't that. And then now we're talking about now we're talking about Esau and Jacob. These were two twins. Two twins. These were twins. Two people who were twins. Amen. All right. They were twins. But one was the firstborn, and the other was the secondborn. Esau was the firstborn, Jacob was the secondborn. And in, in the womb, while, before they were ever born, God said, the elder will serve the younger. In other words, they had done no evil or no good. God did not pick them because... One was better than the other. It was all God. Now, what does that mean? Before they were ever born, before they were ever born, God chose which one he wanted. God chose which one would be the heir. It was not, it was not the firstborn. It was the second. Now, the verse here, verse number 11, tells us this. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. What does that mean? It wasn't anything they'd done that got them chosen. It was just simply the sovereignty of God. All right? God chose Jacob before the babies were ever born. The two boys had done neither good nor evil, so God's choice was not based on their character or conduct. Now, why are we saying all this? For this reason. Since God's election of Israel does not depend on human merit, their disobedience cannot nullify the elective purposes of God. God is faithful even though his people are unfaithful. Are y'all starting to get it? If you were not chosen because of your bloodline, simply because of what you did is not going to nullify God's promise. If you were not chosen because you were good or bad, because you were good or bad does not negate God's promise. 
In other words, he's trying to help them understand that God's promise is sure no matter what. No matter what Israel does, God's promise is sure. No matter what they do, God's promise is sure. Now, there's only one problem. Why then are they set aside? Why is God now focusing and concentrating on building the church? Church, say amen. Now, are y'all with me so far? All right, first we talked about the election of God's children. Then I want you to see number two. Number two. Now there's an explanation of God's conduct. Before we go into the, into the, the main reason that God is doing what he's doing, there's some things that Paul wants to explain to us. Because he knows that they're going to have an argument. He knows that they're going to have, you know, an issue with some things that, that Paul was trying to tell them. So he begins to answer their questions before they ask them. All right. Here he says in, in uh, uh, verse number 14. And by the way, let, let me go back up. To, let me go back to verse 13. Let me go back to verse 13. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now, God has never hated an individual. That is not talking about the individual person of Esau. It's talking about the nation of Edom. These were two different nations, the nation of Israel and the nation of Edom. And what the point of this statement is, is that God chose Israel over Edom. Does that make sense? Say amen. So I want you to read that and go home saying, oh man, God hated somebody. God's word never contradicts itself. God says this, for God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He also said, God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Are y'all with me? He's talking about two different nations. Two different nations. The choice and the, and the choosing of God over these two nations. Okay? Now, what shall we say then? Verse 14. God chose one over the other. God chose one over the other. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Is God unrighteous because he did that? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. All right? Here's, here's three things I want to share with you under the explanation of God's conduct. First, I want you to see the indication. Write that down. The indication. The way, now remember this. Sometimes the actions of God can, per, can be perceived by, let me say it this way. Sometimes the infinite wisdom and actions of God can be perceived as unfair and unrighteous to finite minds. Let that sink in a minute. I told you we was going to get deep this, this evening. Sometimes the infinite wisdom, infinite means unsearchable. There's no way to measure it. God says, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. In other words, God said, don't try to figure me out. Just trust me. 
And sometimes God takes actions that we perceive as being unjust or unfair. Now, how many of y'all would agree with that statement? Why would God allow that? Why, why, would, why would God do that? Why would God, why would God permit? How many of y'all have ever asked them questions? Well, according to what we just read, Paul is saying this, I know this seems unrighteous. I know this seems like God is an unrighteous God for choosing one over the other. It indicates that. The fact that God chose one and not the other seems to indicate that he's unrighteous. Paul asked the question, is there unrighteousness with God? And then he replied, what did he reply? Say it with me. It is unthinkable that the holy God should ever commit an unrighteous act. Election is always totally a matter of grace. If God acted only on the basis of righteousness, nobody would ever be saved. Underline that in your notes. Underline that in your notes. If God only acted on the basis of righteousness, nobody ever would be saved. Paul quoted Exodus 33, 19 to show that God's mercy and compassion are extended according to God's will and not man's will. In other words, all of us deserve condemnation, not mercy. All of us do. All right? Now, I want you to see B. In, in order to further explain himself, he gives an illustration. First, we see there's an indication. An indication, verses 14 through 15, 16. That basically, that basically mercy is all about God. It's not about us. Now he gives the illustration of Pharaoh and Moses. Two people. Two people. That really are, are somewhat the same. But God uses them in a different way. Alright? For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh. Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up. That I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and on whom he will, he hardeneth. Now, now, here's the, here's the, the story. If you, if you don't know the story of Pharaoh and Moses, y'all know Moses. God calls Moses to come back and, and, and get his people out, and, uh, and, and he says, look, God says, get them out, and then they have the plagues. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And Moses kept saying, no, no, no. And every time his heart would get hardened and he would, get, he would rebel against God and it would just get worse and worse and worse. To, to ultimately, ultimately, God kills the firstborn. Uh, uh, the judgment comes upon the nation of Egypt and, 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 and God's people come out. Pharaoh chases them. Pharaoh gets killed in, 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 the, uh, in the sea. So here we have two people. Here we have two people, and God uses both of them in a different way. One to mercy, one to judgment. One to life, one to death. Now watch this. Paul quotes Exodus 9, 16, and he uses Pharaoh as an illustration. But watch this. Moses was a Jew, Pharaoh was a Gentile, yet they were both sinners. In fact, both were murderers. Both saw God's wonders, yet Moses was saved and Pharaoh was lost. God raised up Pharaoh that he might reveal his glory and power. 
and he had mercy on Moses that he might use him to deliver the people of Israel. God is sovereign in his work and acts according to his own will and purposes. So it was not a matter of righteousness, but of the sovereign will of God. In other words, it wasn't because Moses was better than Pharaoh. Y'all with me? It wasn't because he, he, he was a righteous man. They were both the same. It was a sovereign choice, a sovereign act of God and a purpose of God. But keep on, keep on. God is holy and must punish sin. But God is loving and he desires to save sinners. This is not in your notes. If everybody is saved, it would deny his holiness. But if everybody is lost, it would deny his love. So what's the, what's, what's the answer? By declaring his word and revealing his power to Pharaoh, God gave Pharaoh opportunity to repent. But instead, Pharaoh resisted God and hardened his heart. The fault lay not with God, but with Pharaoh. The same sunlight that melts the ice also hardens the clay. God was not unrighteous in his dealings with Pharaoh because he gave him many opportunities to repent and believe. You ever notice, you ever notice, I mean, a good illustration of this is Peter and Stephen. Peter and Stephen preached the same message. Go back and study it. Peter preached one message on, on the day of Pentecost. Stephen preached the same message. Peter had mass revival. Stephen got killed. The Bible says when Peter preached, they were pricked in their heart. When Stephen preached, same message, they were cut to the heart. The same sun that melts ice hardens clay. Now here's the deal. It may seem that God is unjust to certain people. It may seem in our perception that God is unrighteous or unfair, but God is just in everything he does. Say, so, well, he, he picked. He picked and made Pharaoh. Nope. Nope. You say, well, okay, let's keep reading. Watch this. Therefore, therefore, Verse 19, verse 19. First there was an indication, then there was an illustration, but now there's an implica implication. Now he's implying God made him do it. And if God made him do it, then why, why is that fair? He says in verse number 19, Thou wilt say then unto me, this is Paul saying, Thou wilt say then unto me, why doth he yet find fault? In other words, why can he blame Pharaoh? He made him do it, right? Why does he find fault? For who hath resisted his will? We can't, we can't resist the will of God. We can't resist uh, uh, God's hand and his purpose in our life. That's not true, people. That's not true. God has a, per a, a perfect will for your life, but he gives you a choice. God's got, a, God's got a wonderful will for your life, but he's never going to force you to do it. What is the point? What Pharaoh did, he chose to do. Now let's keep reading. Let's keep reading. Nay. First Paul says, now wait a minute. Now wait a minute. First, you don't have no right to argue with God. Nay, O man, who art thou that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Hath not the potter power over the clay in the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? What if 
God, now here's, here's the explanation. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make the, known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory? Now here's the deal. The fact of God's sovereign will only seems to create a new problem. If God is sovereign, then who can resist him? If one does, does resist him, what right does he have to judge? It is the age-old question of the justice of God as he works in human history. We know that God by nature is perfectly just. Amen? Genesis 18.25 says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? It is unthinkable that God's, God would will an unjust purpose or perform an unjust act. But at times, it seems that he does just that. He had mercy on Moses but condemned Pharaoh. Is this just? He elected Israel and rejected the other nations. Is this just? Verse 22 helps clear everything up. The fact that God was long-suffering indicates that he gave Pharaoh opportunities to be saved. The word fitted in Romans 9.22 does not suggest that God made Pharaoh a vessel of wrath. The verb is in what the Greek grammarians uh, call the middle voice, making it a reflexive action verb. So it should read this way. It fitted himself for destruction. In other words, God prepares men for glory, but sinners prepare themselves for judgment. In Moses and Israel, God revealed the riches of his mercy. In Pharaoh and Egypt, he revealed his power and wrath. Since neither deserved any mercy, God cannot be charged with injustice. Here's the point. We can't argue with God, number one. There's no way, there's no way than a, a finite mind, in other words, a limited mind, can understand an unlimited God. There's never a time that we're going to figure out everything that God is doing and how he does it and why he does it. There's no way ever, ever, that we're going to understand why we pray that God would heal this person's cancer and they delivered, and then over here we pray for God to heal this person's cancer and they go to heaven. Why God will fix this problem and seemingly ignores this problem. But God always has a purpose. And God is perfect in everything he does. Now, we know that he gave Pharaoh every opportunity, every opportunity to believe. Every opportunity. And, and according to the verse, the verse is really given in such a way that God was long-suffering. In other words, he, he, he withheld his judgment uh, for an extended period of time to give him an opportunity to get saved. So on the surface, it looks like he saved one and condemned the other. But in all reality, he condemned himself. Now God has chosen a way, and God has chosen a plan. Here's the, here's the whole gist of that, that section of this chapter. The argument is this. What about the Jews? 
I thought God chose them. He did. He did. He's got a purpose for them. He's got a promise for them. Y'all with me? And he explains that, that no matter what they did, his promise is going to come to pass. Even though it looks like God's done with them, God's purpose is going to come to pass. Now, this brings us into the third section that really draws it all together. Watch this. I want you to see number three, the examination of God's conversion. Basically, first he says they were chosen. They were elected. Then he defends God's ability and right to do the choosing. That's all that was. Paul's saying God has a right to do what he wants to do with who he wants to do it with. Amen? And we as the clay have no right to question the potter because he's God. Okay? Now, even though by saying that, then he comes right behind and explains the deal with Pharaoh that even though it looks like God was unmerciful and he picked one for judgment and one for deliverance, he, the one who, who was judged brought it on himself. He explains that. Now we are seeing, now let me tell you, basically if we're talking in, in our language and, and how we talk, he's saying, look, yes, y'all were chosen. Yes, the nation of Israel was picked. God chose them. Y'all had blessings, incredible. I mean, you had, you had unbelievable blessings. And it wasn't because you were good. And it wasn't because of your lineage. It was because God picked you. It was all about him. It wasn't about you. Amen? And because it was all about him and not about you, what you did can't discount the fact of what God's doing. So the promise is true, and it's going to happen regardless. Now, for all y'all that's worrying about, or you're thinking that God's not right by choosing, that's what the next few verses are about. Now he's saying, now let me explain, let me explain why the nation of Israel is set aside momentarily, and now God is building the church okay watch this verse number verse number 24 even us now when Paul says even us he's talking about the church whom he hath called not of the Jews only but also of the Gentiles now verse 25 as he saith also in Hosea that OC is Hosea Hosea and he's basically quoting Hosea chapter 2 verse 13 or 23 I will call them my people, which were not my people. And he's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about the Gentiles. And her beloved, which was not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. Then he quotes Isaiah. First he quotes Hosea. Now he's quoting Isaiah. Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel. Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because a short work with the Lord, uh, because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, except the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we had been as Sodom and been made like unto Gomorrah. All right. First, I want you to see this: the foretelling of a connected prophecy. 
the foretelling of a connected prophecy. Paul quotes two prophets, and basically what he's saying, look, I don't know why y'all surprised, because God prophesied that this was going to happen. Why are you acting surprised that God has set aside the nation of Israel and now he is reaching out to the Gentiles because Hosea said it was going to happen and Isaiah said it was going to happen. So God is just fulfilling prophecy. That makes sense. Say amen. All right. Paul quoted Hosea 2.23, a statement declaring that God would turn from the Jews and call the Gentiles. Then he cited Hosea 1.10 to prove that this new people being called would be God's people and the children of the living God. Now watch this. Man, I hope I can say this right. In the Exodus, when he calls the Jewish people out of Egypt, he rejects the Gentiles to deliver the Jews in order to deliver the Gentiles. Think about it. He rejects the Gentiles to deliver the Jews. And he gave them all that stuff. The promises, the tabernacle, the 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 laws, Jesus, so that he could deliver everybody. And it was because of the nation of Israel's rejection of Jesus that he can now receive the Gentiles. But it's just temporary. They are on unhold right now, but they are still God's people. They are still God's chosen, and God still got a plan. Have you noticed that even though it seems like this bad happened, or this happened, and this happened, seems like just a bunch of mess, when you step back and look at the big picture, it's all according to God's plan. So why, why are the Gentiles getting saved now and the Jews are on hold? The last three verses explain it. Last four verses. What shall we say then? What shall we say then? Paul says, let me tell you, let me tell you why God is building the church. What shall we say then, that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness, they wasn't even looking for it, and they got it. They were not following after righteousness. They have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. In other words, they wasn't going looking for it, but they got it. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. In other words, they was looking for it, but they didn't get it. Why? Verse 32, wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. Now here's the, here's the key, guys. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone. That's Jesus, by the way. 
As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be the Jews sought for righteousness but did not find it. While the Gentiles who were not searching for it found it. The reason? Israel tried to be saved by works and not by faith. They rejected grace righteousness and tried to please God with law righteousness. Somebody say amen. Watch, watch, watch what it says in the first two verses of chapter 10. First two verses of chapter 10. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer, and by the way, chapter 10 is going to be off the chain. Brethren, my, I, I guess if that's right, off the hook, off the chain, off something. It's going to be good. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He said, but there's a problem. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God. They're very religious, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Here's what Paul says. Let's just summarize it. Let's summarize it. So everybody put your papers down and look at it. Let's summarize this whole chapter. For three chapters, actually Paul has been speaking about salvation for the last three chapters. Chapters 6, 7, and 8 and, and, and victory and, and, and conquering and all that kind of stuff. And now he stops, now he stops and, and addresses basically the Jewish nation and some questions and arguments they may have. And this is what he says. This is what he says. Because they're saying, look, what about the Jews, man? Now you're talking about the church. We're no longer relevant anymore. We're no, we're no longer God's people anymore. I mean, what's this about? Why is this all the focus is off uh, uh, the, the, the rituals and the, and the formalism of the, the temple? And, the ta- and you're saying we, we don't have to go to the tabernacle or the temple no more. And, and, and now it's all about the church. What's up with that? So Paul begins to explain. He begins to explain, yes, y'all were the chosen people. But it wasn't because of anything that you did. It was all the sovereign grace of God. And, and, and yes, the promise to Israel is still true. And it will still come to pass. Jesus is going to come. And he's going to reign as king on this earth. Say amen. amen. There is going to come a kingdom through the lineage of their father David. Amen. And nothing they can do can disregard and keep God from being faithful with his promise. Now, some of y'all think, some of y'all think that it's unrighteous, or God doesn't have a right to do with what He wants, with who with He wants, what He wants, with who He wants, where He wants, how He wants. But God is righteous, God is sovereign, and God is just. Nobody will ever get what doesn't belong, or, or, or is not what's coming to them. The only people that don't get what's coming to them are those that have repented and trusted in Christ. Y'all, did you get what I just said? We all deserve hell, but God's provided heaven. Then he goes on to say, look, I don't know why y'all are surprised. You shouldn't be surprised if you know the scriptures, the prophets. He quotes two, two, two scriptures out of Hosea, one out of Isaiah, 
and says, look, God said that this was going to happen. God said that he would turn from the Jewish people and turn to the Gentiles. And that took place in the book of Acts right after the stoning of Stephen. Right after the stoning of Stephen. But God's got a purpose. God's got a purpose. He delivered the nation of Israel. He turned his back on the Gentiles to deliver the Jews so that he could deliver the Gentiles. Because it was through the blessings and the touch and the covenants and the promises of the nation of Israel that he would bring Jesus to the whole world so everybody could get saved. And the reason y'all are on hold and God's building the church is because the Gentiles believed Christ. And they came to God by faith. And you can't get that because you're trying to work your way in. And it's salvation for by grace are you saved through that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. And the reason you're struggling is because you're tripping up over Jesus. You're so confident in your lineage. (coughs) You're so confident in your bloodline. You're so confident in your heritage. You're so confident in your ability to try to follow the law. You're so confident in in, in what you think you know. And you're so religious and you're so zealous that you cannot believe that Jesus is your Savior. That you are a sinner and that he will save your soul. It's not hard getting people saved. It's hard getting people lost. And their problem is they just couldn't get lost. They thought everybody else was lost but them. They were God's chosen. And they were depending more on their heritage than they were on Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary. Somebody say amen. Amen. Tonight was about the Jews' election. The choice that God made of them. Next week, it's going to be about their rejection. Their rejection. Uh, chapter 10 is great, man. I'm telling you, it's really, really a great study. So you need to, you need to be here, and you need to be praying about it. And, uh, and, and, and while you're praying about that, pray for me. Say amen. How many of y'all enjoyed tonight? Yeah, come on, give him praise. Give him praise. Chew on it a while. Pray about it a while. Read your notes. Take them home. Read your notes. Let God speak to you. What, what, can we, uh, what can we take from this? God's word is true. God's promises will always come to pass. The nation of Israel does have a remnant. And there's coming a day after judgment. And I believe, I believe a, a, a portion of that scripture is dealing with the nation of Israel going through the tribulation period. And then coming out on the other side. And God bringing... Uh, 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 a new kingdom, and that's going to be great. That's going to be awesome. But trust me on this. God is right in anything he does. There's some things in my mind that I'm really taking from this study, not just about what he was trying to do with the nation of Israel in Rome at that time and, and the skeptics and the people that were, you know, worried about him being a traitor and all that kind of stuff, but I, to apply to my life today that God's word is true, his promise will always come to pass, and nothing I can do, nothing I can do can, can deter God's promise from coming to pass. And, 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 and anyhow, I'm going to preach again. i got to shut up. Uh, uh, pray for Sunday. Pray for Sunday. Uh, really, really, really important topic. 
Have y'all noticed that God is really bringing us through some stuff to develop us? Uh, he is building us. We've got, we've got tons of baby Christians and, and people that are baby Christians that don't think they're baby Christians. And, and, and each, each subject that God is bringing is another subject to get us stronger, to get us more mature, to get us, listen, uh, closer to him and more able to fight the battle out there. So I need you to pray hard for me because if the devil does in the second half what he has done in the first half, say amen. I need your prayer. How many of y'all going to pray for me this week? All right. Well, let's pray for each other. we got two minutes and 13 seconds, all right? This is a record. Hey, we've got, that's right. We don't have two minutes. Uh, here's what we're going to do. We've got, we've got some to baptize tonight. Got some that have to work on Sunday. Isn't that cool? Baptizing on Wednesday night. Let's give God praise and glory. Amen. All right, here's what we're going to do. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Those who are going to be baptized, you come on and get ready. And, uh, and, uh, and we're going to do this, Jalen. If you'll come and, 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 and sing something or hum something or pray, we're going to pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Listen, I want you to, I want you to pray for God's touch more than anything in this world. Pray for God's touch this Sunday. How many of y'all will help me pray, say amen? All right. Well, let's do this. Let's do this. Brother Johnny, won't you grab one of them microphones, and I want you to pray for the anointing of God. And Jalen, you sing something, and then we'll baptize. Lord, we love you tonight, and God, we're just thankful, God, for another opportunity, Lord, to come to your house, and God, to hear your word. Lord, I thank you tonight for salvation. Lord, I thank you for that grace, God, that our pastor talked about tonight. Lord, I thank you for saving grace. Lord, it's nothing that we could do, God, to earn salvation. Lord, it's what you did on the cross. And, Lord, we praise your name tonight for that. Lord, I thank you for this baptism tonight. Lord, I pray, God, right now you'd bless these people, God, as they come tonight. And, Father, God, you and believers' baptism. Lord, we thank you for everything that you do. God, for temple, Lord, for blessing. Lord, we pray for Sunday. God, we pray for our pastor, Lord. I pray that you'd build a hedge, God, about him. And, Lord, protect him tonight. God, I pray this next week, God, as he keeps studying and preparing, Lord, for the message, Lord, that you'd continue to bless. Lord, we love you tonight. Just touch everything that goes on here at Temple, Lord, for all the workers, God, for the kids, Lord, that's helping in Awana. God, for TSM, Lord, we praise you for what's going on down there. Lord, we just, again, want you to bless Lord, let us continue to grow, Father God, and let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. While they're getting ready, y'all been sitting for a while. Y'all stand up real quick. Stand up and sing with us tonight. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore.
like a baptism on Sunday. You've been to a football game, it's national championship game, national championship game. Your team, whoever it is, just scored the final touchdown. That's how we need to act when people get baptized because there is praise all over heaven. So let's just have a little bit of it here tonight. All right, I'm going to pull the preacher. Church, say amen. 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 Get to do it Sunday and then Wednesday night. Man, it would be great if I had to fill that thing up Sunday morning too. That would be fine with me. So, all right. Well, let's be dismissed tonight and um, come back Sunday. Be excited. Don't forget, as soon as you get finished, yes, as soon as we dismiss here, If y'all had done it Sunday, he wouldn't have had to say that. He don't even have a mic. Um, as soon as we dismiss, really, grab you some invite cards, grab a pack of them. Saw a lady getting some to give to her kids to give out to kids in the neighborhood. So that's just awesome. Also, don't forget your kids. Don't linger around because we got workers that are needing to get their ki- get, get gone and pick your kids up. We love them, but you need to love them more. Okay? <laughs> Alrighty, Okay, let's be dismissed. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. God, thank you, God, for, Lord, an opportunity to be here tonight. Thank you for the message we've heard, God, from our pastor. God, thank you for a pastor, God, that will preach and teach, God, your word. God, thank you for allowing us once again 
God, to see new converts, Lord, take that next step. God, that should encourage us as Christians, Lord, as a church, to see, God, we're doing something right. God, despite, Lord, where we feel like that we fall and we fail, God, you just, you're looking for willing souls and willing vessels, God, to do your work. God, be with us. God, I pray right now you would start working on our service Sunday. God, bless everything that takes place in that service, that it will give you honor and glory. All this we're thanking you for in Jesus' name. Amen.